Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in your great wisdom and love and mercy that you sent Jesus to be with us, God incarnate, here to dwell. We praise you for that wonderful gift, which means salvation for all who believe. Lord, I pray that as we open your word now that you would give us even more insight into your word and into your plan of salvation, that we might continue to rejoice in you and trust in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing something, well, I'm doing something a little bit different over the next five months. I'm going to combine my Christmas series and my series starting in January and my Easter series all into one, and we're going to look at that all in the book of Matthew. So we're going to start off with a Christmas series. The the book of Matthew starts off with the revelation of of Jesus Christ's coming. So today and next Sunday, we're going to look at the the story of the gospel of the coming of Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 1. And then we're going to move on after we finish Christmas. We're going to look at the how the disciples came to Jesus. And we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And that's going to take us all the way up through Easter. And then at Easter, we're going to skip ahead in the story of Matthew and and look at the Easter story from there. So I would encourage you over the next five months or so to to get to know this book of Matthew. We're going to study it. We're going to get to know it and see what God has for us in there. Like I said, this first sermon, this first section, has to do with the coming of Jesus Christ. It has to do with how people look forward to the coming of the Messiah. In the very first verse, we're told that it's the record of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Christ is not just his last name. Christ is a title that means Messiah. It means anointed one. That the people were looking for the Messiah who would come, the anointed one, the king who would come to reign. And faithful Jews had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for the coming of this Messiah. Now, we know lots more of the story than they do. Uh, on this side of the cross, we can look back now and know that God did indeed bring his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, came to save us from our sins. So it truly is an amazing story. And at Christmas time, I hope that you stop and take time to think about what God did for you. Like Dan said, it's not just the the hustle and bustle of buying gifts and Christmas travel plans. I hope that your hearts stop and rejoice at what God has done. Now I want you to look at this story this morning from the perspective of somebody who was waiting for him to come. We're going to put ourselves in the historical context of what it would have been like to wait. But also what I want you to get from this is I want you to get a better understanding of the history of the coming of Jesus Christ. It's an important history. The Bible has a lot to say about the preparation that that happened before Jesus Christ came. And we as Christians should know this stuff. Now, on on one hand, all we need to know is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we need to receive him as Savior and Lord. But as we continue in this relationship with him, I think it's a good idea for us Christians to get to know the history of the Bible. A couple reasons I say that. One, it will make your Bible reading that much more rich. You will have a deeper understanding and a, a deeper gratitude of what God has done for you. And then second, as you get to understand the history better, you'll be able to explain it better to other people. So we really should know these things about the historical context of how it is that Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. My faith has been strengthened as I've looked at that. You see, if you were a Jew living 2,000 years ago and somebody came on the scene claiming to be the Messiah, 
you'd probably say to yourself, okay, show me. Show me how it is that you are the fulfillment of all that has already been said. You would want to see how, how this man was indeed the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. So in our passage today, we're going to see a bunch of that fulfillment. And before we get into our passage, I want to tell you that this passage has an amazing story to tell. Now you might be surprised then to see, or maybe you've already looked ahead in your bulletin to see, that we're going to look at a genealogical list today. That's our sermon text. It's basically just a list of names. So how can a genealogy have an amazing story to tell? Well, well, some of you have probably looked into your genealogy of your family history, right? And the idea is that, that each generation you go back, it, like, it unfolds another part of the story of how you came to... How, how did we become Americans and live here? Well, there's, there's people that came from other nations, and, and that's why we live here. Well, this genealogy in Matthew 1 has a wonderful historical story to tell. And it ends with the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful story, and we really should get to know it. Theologian Michael Green said, This list of names sets Jesus of Nazareth in the context of what God had been doing for his people from the earliest days. It puts Jesus in the historical context of God's most wonderful promises. And we should be able to tell these parts of this story. And I think that the reason that Matthew started out his gospel with this list of names is to show us that Jesus didn't just pop on the scene as some religious leader. He came as the fulfillment of what God had always wanted to do. Okay, so a couple of quick notes about this genealogical list before we start. And then I want to tell a a funny story because I I realize, you know, a genealogy might might need to be lightened up a little bit. So a couple notes and then a story that I think is funny. Uh, Note number one, this list in Matthew is different than the list in Luke. If you were to put them side by side and read them, you'd see they're they're different. Some of the names are the same, but then they diverge. And and why is that? Um, Well, we don't know the exact answer because we don't have access to all the genealogical lists that Matthew and Luke did back then. But one answer that a lot of people have landed on and, and might be the right answer is that Matthew was following the Joseph's side of the genealogy and Luke was following Mary's side of the genealogy. We don't know that for sure, but that answer would certainly make sense as to why they'd be different lists. Uh, and then the second point is that the list in Matthew that we're going to look at today skips some generations. So it, it looks like it's you know father-son, father-son, all the way down. Uh, but the word in here for father of can also mean ancestor of, and sometimes it's a, they, they skip even three generations. So it's the great-grandfather of. Uh, but the, the Greek word can mean both father and ancestor. So the list really is not just a, a detailed list of every person in the line. It's actually in some ways more of a theological list hitting some of the important points. And I want to point out some of those to you. Okay. And then what I think is a funny story uh, about genealogies in the Bible. I went to a Christian high school and I was in a Bible class and in this particular Bible class one year we had to memorize sections of scripture every week. The, the teacher would tell us like a week ahead of time which passage it was that we had to memorize and then he would pick names out of a hat and have us come to the front of the class and, and share this, li- uh, share this uh, scripture passage from memory. And every Every day when it came time for this, there was a friend of mine sitting next to me, and he would turn to me about three minutes before the class would start, and he would say, Eric, what's the passage for today? And I'd say, are you kidding me? And I'd say, okay, fine. Here's, every week I would tell him what the passage was, and he would, 
You know, just three minutes before class time, he would get it memorized and, and do it perfectly. So I wanted to do a, do a little prank on it. Now, I don't usually like pranks because usually they're just mean, but I thought this one was kind of good-spirited. And I got the teacher in on it, and I said, can I, uh, can I do a little prank on this guy? He's going to ask me, can we, can we give him a genealogical list? So sure enough, at the beginning of the class, he says to me, Eric, what's the passage? I'm like, well, Matthew 1, 1 through 6. And he's like, okay, okay. He flips to it. And he looks at me like, really? I'm like, yeah, for some reason he just wants us to know this. So he's, I can see him there for three minutes just sweating, like, how in the what in the world? What am I going to do with this? And, and the teacher was in on the prank, so you know, the teacher had this, name of, this hat full of names, and he drew out this guy's name first. Like, no! I wanted to hear the other people say it first. So he gets up there, and he's like, okay, uh, Aminadab was the father of... Oh. And he's just sweating his whole way through. It didn't do very well. And he sits down at the end, and then the teacher pulls out the next name from the hat, and he does the real passage, and ha-ha, the joke's on you. <laughs> Was that mean of me? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway... I, I understand that when you turn to a genealogical list in the Bible, it, it doesn't always feel like the most exciting of reading. But, but again, I tell you, there's some wonderful stories in here to tell. And we're actually going to read through this list today. I time myself. It takes me a, maybe a little bit less than a minute and a half to read through it. But it's scripture, and, and I want to read through it. So here we go. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 7. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Deep breath. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Another deep breath. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Okay, there we have it. Um, great list of names. That I, I'm thinking as you know, a guy who's going to have a baby in the next three weeks or so, we should just kind of get a dart and throw it at this list. <laughs> Uzziah, there we go. <laughs> right, Josiah? You'd like that one, yeah. <laughs> Okay, what I want to do now is I want to break this list into three sections. This, this passage points out to us that there are three important parts of this. There's Abraham, there's David, and there's the exile. So I want to break down this list and look at it from those three perspectives. And I want to show you how God has brought about the fulfillment of our salvation in wonderful ways by looking at the history of what God did 
through all of this. Okay, so first we're going to look at Abraham. In verse 1, Jesus is called the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham is without question one of the most important figures in the Old Testament. God called Abraham to himself and made a covenant with him. God asked Abraham to leave his land, and as he asked him that, he also gave him his these wonderful promises. Promises like, uh, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And at the end of that list of promises, we see this one. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what God said to Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham's response was to leave. By faith, he left, and he went where God told him to go. And somehow then, all nations on earth would be blessed through Abraham. We get some clarification of that promise later. In Genesis 22:18. it says, Through your offspring, or seed, or descendant, all nations on earth will be blessed. So the promise, given many centuries before Jesus came, was that there would be a descendant of Abraham through whom all nations would be blessed. And one of the amazing parts of this promise is that it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for Abraham and his physical descendants. It was for all nations. So God made this covenant with Abraham and there were some wonderful promises in it. And you can imagine then, as the generations went on, the people were asking, when? When is God going to do all of this? When is he going to fulfill all of this? God gave these promises and they're really great. When will he do it? Well, let's fast forward here a little bit. As we go through this list of names in verses 2 through 6, we head towards the time of Judges. So Israel had already at this point then been in Egypt and been freed from Egypt and they experienced this, this time of the judges which wasn't exactly a time full of blessing for them. There were lots of problems in that time and you can imagine again people are saying okay God we're here we're living in the promised land but it's not exactly going the way that we wanted it to. When are you going to bring about all this fulfillment that you talked about? Israel longed for deliverance from their enemies. They had lots of enemies at that time. They longed for that deliverance. And then along came King David. So now we're moving into the second part of this genealogical list. King David was in the line of Abraham. He was one of Abraham's descendants, and he became the king of Israel. God had promised to bless the nations through Abraham's seed, and now all of a sudden one of his descendants steps onto the throne. And and as he steps to the throne then, he also starts to lead the nation into military victory. And you can imagine the people are starting to think, is this the guy? Is this the the descendant of Abraham that's going to bring about all of these promises that God had given? David himself was called a man after God's own heart. But it wasn't all roses. If you know your Old Testament history, David made some pretty bad mistakes. One of those mistakes cost the nation dearly and a bunch of people died. Another one of his mistakes cost him dearly and his own son died. See, David couldn't save the life of his own son. How much less could he be the savior of the whole world? So David, he he was the anointed king of Israel And in that sense, he was a Messiah, but he was not the Messiah. He was not the Messiah. The promises given to Abraham would have to come about through someone else. But God, in his mercy at that time, gave even more promises to David. 
So I want to I look at these. Uh, remember, Jesus was also called in verse 1 the son of David. He was the son of Abraham as we saw already. And I showed you, uh, by the way, what I call the most important passage in the Old Testament was that Genesis passage that we looked at about God's promises through Abraham. Now I want to show you what I call the second most important passage. And the, the adult Sunday school class should know exactly where this is because we studied that today. But uh, this is one you might want to either uh, write it in your Bible or, or put it in your brain the best that you know how. 2 Samuel 7. Uh, also it's parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 17. But God, at this time, he's, he's raising up David as the king and the people are wondering, is the Messiah going to come? God gave some more wonderful promises to the people. And I want you to, to look at these. In 2 Samuel 7, in verse 12, God says to him through the prophet Nathan, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And then in verse 16, just a few verses later, it said, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God promised David that there would be a forever king. God still intended to keep all the promises that he gave through Abraham. And now he added even more promises given to David and said he would fulfill all of them as well. And as we fast forward then through this list in Matthew 1, verses 6 through 11, we see a bunch of David's descendants. And all of them were kings. Every single one of them was a king. And you can imagine the people of that time asking, is this going to be the one? Is the next one going to be the one? The king? The Messiah? Now, there were some good kings in this list, like Asa and Jehoshaphat and Josiah. But there were also some terrible kings in this list. Ahaz and Manasseh, for example. You read about some of the things they did and it was just terrible. All through this time of kings, it was like a roller coaster. And you can imagine the people saying, when is the Messiah going to come? David came and went. He wasn't the Christ. David's son Solomon came and went and he wasn't the Christ and on and on and on and on it went and it wasn't the Messiah. The, those kings weren't bringing about the, the heavenly peace and the salvation that God's people longed for. And actually just the opposite, this time of kings ended with something terrible, the exile. Now, the exile is one of those important parts of the history of the Old Testament. If you don't know much about the exile, maybe that can be your New Year's resolution, is to study it in the Bible. A, a, a significant chunk of the Bible deals with the exile of God's people. Um, see, after this 400-year roller coaster ride of some good kings and some, go some bad kings, <coughs> excuse me, God brought punishment to his people for their wickedness. Now, historically speaking, here's what the exile was. The nation of Babylon invaded the land and took God's people away, brought them over to Babylon. Now, spiritually speaking, it was God's punishment. I like to call it a 70-year timeout due to the wickedness of the, of the people, due to their own sin. So spiritually speaking, it was a time that they had to endure because of their own wickedness. If King David was a high point in their history, the exile was the low point in their history. And let me be very clear about this. It wasn't just an invading army. It wasn't just a deportation. 
It was punishment due to sin and wickedness that God sent his people away to a foreign land. And the entire nation had to face the consequences. And it was quite the punishment. Seventy years in exile. So think about that. There were Jews who were born, lived their whole life, and died in exile. And as I think about what the exile is, I actually think it's a pretty good illustration of what we're born into. Some people there were born into exile. We were all born into sin. Every single one of us was born with a sinful nature. And in the exile, they they lived for many years in that exile. And we all lived in sin. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then in the exile, some people died in that exile. And even today, some people still die in their sins, not receiving the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ. But historically, the exile wasn't the end. Eventually, God rescued his people and brought them back, and they were able to come back and and reestablish their nation and rebuild the temple and, and worship God in the promised land again. But the question for God's people still then, after they return from the exile, is when will this Messiah come? You see, when they got back into the land, it wasn't all roses for them either. They lived most of that time under the oppression of foreign leaders. And and the people continued to wonder, when will this Messiah come? Okay, now you know where this list is heading. You know that it's heading to Jesus Christ. And I want to conclude with some thoughts on Jesus Christ. But before that, I want to point out four other things historically from this genealogical list. Just just a real quick uh, listing off of four things here. First, there were lots of questionable characters in this list. Uh, you've got the wicked kings, Ahaz and Manasseh. You've got a, I, I mean, I don't have time to tell you all the wicked stuff that's in here. You look at Judah and Tamar, that was a terrible thing. You look at David and, and the sin with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, that was a terrible time. There's lots of terrible, horrible stuff in here. So how should we take that? Our Savior came from a family line that was full of sinners. How should we take that? Well, here's how I like to take it. God loves sinners. God was not ashamed to have his son born in the family line of sinners like you and me. In fact, I think what it shows is that that's exactly why Jesus came, to save wicked people like these people on this list, to save wicked people like you and me. Second, Jesus had some Gentiles, some non-Jews in his family line. Now this is interesting because technically speaking, it would have been impossible for any of the men to be non-Jews since the son of a Jew would be a Jew. It was impossible for any of the men. So there's some women included on this list and at least two of them, if not four of them, were Gentiles. At least for sure, Ruth and Rahab were living in foreign pagan lands. And, And what's the story of both of them? they came into the nation of Israel as worshipers of God and they were fully included and welcomed. So that's a neat part of this story for us because most of us here would be in the category of Gentiles. And what we see from this genealogical list is that Gentiles are welcome too. We saw that in the promise to Abraham and we see it in the actual inclusion of some Gentiles in this list. Okay. Uh, third, there were five women listed in this genealogical record. 
Now that was very countercultural in this time. Genealogical lists would need only to include the men. But for some reason we see five women included in this list. Why is that? Uh, well, for one, I think it shows God's love for women. His full inclusion of women as children of God. In fact, I think that Matthew included these women in some ways to honor them and to show that women do have a, a place of honor within God's tent. Um, a lot of people get this one wrong in our day and age. A lot of people look at Christianity as a religion that somehow pushes women down, but far from it. I think Christianity is actually a, a, a religion, if you call it that, that, that lifts up and values women, gives them the honor that they deserve. Okay, and then fourth, my fourth note before we conclude here, if at any point along this way this list stopped, it would have been a tragedy. If God couldn't make good on his promises, what good would he be? But this list didn't stop. And there were some times along the way where it was in danger of stopping. The exile, of course, would have been one of those. There was another time where somebody tried to kill all the descendants of one of the kings, but there was one who escaped. If at any, li any time this list was stopped and cut short, it would have been a tragedy. But God brought about his plan of salvation just like he said he would. He is faithful to all of his promises. Okay. Um, God kept his word. He showed tremendous grace to sinners. And for us who live on this side of the cross, we can look back and say, yep, God kept his promises. He loved us and wanted to save us, so he brought about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and as we look at this list, the, the point isn't that the people on this list were somehow worthy of God's blessings. The point is that we all need a Savior. God didn't send Jesus because we were, were worthy because we finally got to the point where we got our act cleaned up and God said, now I'll... No. God sent Jesus because we all need a Savior. That's obvious when we look at wicked sinners like Manasseh, but it's true even if we look at David and Abraham. And it's true as we look at our lives. We need a Savior. So in His mercy, God sent that Savior. And in, and in the year 2013 now, we can look back and see God's love and His grace as we realize that He sent Jesus Christ See, we all have a sin problem. And it's worse than just the problem that led to the exile. You see, in the exile, they had a, a sin problem and they couldn't save themselves. We have an even worse sin problem than that and we cannot save ourselves. But God sent Jesus to rescue us. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. It's only because of his life and death and resurrection that we can be forgiven of our sin and that we can be brought into a new life that we can be brought into a relationship with God that can last from now through the rest of eternity that's what God has given to us in Jesus Christ and then as I was thinking about how else can we apply this genealogical list to our lives well, one way is looking back and being thankful that God has brought about his promises. But another way that we can apply this is to look forward. Because think about this. All these people on this list were waiting for God to bring about his promises in the future. And what happened? 
Jesus Christ came and was born to fulfill all of those promises. But now as we look back to the birth of Jesus Christ, we also look forward to his second coming. God has promised us that the same Jesus Christ is coming back again. So it's actually very similar for us as we think about all the mess of this list as they waited for their Savior, the Messiah, to come. We now live in a mess in many ways, but we look forward to the promises that God has given. God has always been faithful to his promises, and he always will be. Jesus Christ is coming again. Hebrews 9.28 says, He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, that's what he did the first time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So that's where we are in this story. We wait for him to come. We can look back and know that God has been faithful, and we can look forward and trust that he will bring about his promises just like he said he would. So at Christmas time here, I think that's, that's two good applications for us. One is we should look back and praise God for what he did. And, I, and again, I hope you're doing that this Christmas season. I hope you're taking the time to rejoice in what God has done for us. But then also we can look forward and rejoice that God will fulfill his promises. He will bring about our salvation. Jesus Christ will come again. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you brought about the fulfillment of your salvation plan. You did it in our human history that Jesus Christ came as a real human being, lived on our earth, and died for our sins to rescue us from sin. That all who receive him as Savior and Lord can have salvation. We thank you and we praise you, God, for that. And this Christmas season, may we continue to rejoice in what you have done. Then also, God, help us to remember that you are faithful to your promises and you've given us wonderful promises about the second coming of Christ. God, we look forward to that and we praise you for the salvation that you will bring about. So God, thank you for where we stand now, being able to hold on to your promises, seeing that you fulfilled many of them and knowing that you will fulfill the rest of them. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.